Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Welcome, everybody, to the Lakers Legacy Podcast, where stay-at-home orders have taken on a brand new and much more hopeful meaning thanks to Rob Palinka, Anthony Davis, and LeBron James. As the Brow and the King will be staying at home here in Los Angeles in Lakers jerseys where they belong for at least three more years, including this one, and potentially five more years for Anthony Davis. So let the good times keep on rolling this offseason for Lakers Nation, and let the good times keep on centering around LeBron James and Anthony Davis for the foreseeable future, with the longevity of this franchise looking brighter and more sustainable in excellence by the day. I'm your host, Jonathan Hernandez. My co-hosts, Tommy Alexander and Alan Riley, are unfortunately not here with me today. Uh, We have been taking a mini hiatus these last two weeks in preparation for the start of this upcoming season. We've got preseason basketball coming up in the next week where we'll hopefully begin to ramp things up podcast-wise. So I'm going to do a quick solo intro pod here. And um, in the second portion of this episode, you will hear a guest spot that I did on the Put on Waivers podcast with Dwayne Douglas. So hopefully that should fill um, some of your back and forth conversational needs where I'm not just simply blabbering to myself into the oblivion. But for this first part, I'm going to give my quick initial thoughts on the first half of the season schedule being released. I'm going to talk about the Lakers re-signing Quinn Cook. And then for the meat of this episode, I'll also talk about the implications of the LeBron James and Anthony Davis extension signings and how that affects how the front office will proceed to attack future off-seasons and what it means for the other guys the Lakers currently have on their roster. But before we get to all of that, though, uh, as usual, please follow us on Twitter, at LakersLegacyPod. And above all else, please shoot us a five-star rating and review on Apple Podcasts. If you'd like to help maintain the regularity and consistency of this show, which may have to eventually move to a bi-weekly schedule of just two episodes a month due to all of our hectic schedules, and, and specifically for me due to my hectic schedule as I began a new writing gig this past September, and that's beginning to ramp up. And it's getting harder and harder to juggle the two, having this podcast on the side and trying to keep up with all the rampant Lakers news and whatnot coming through the airwaves. So If you'd like to help us out from the motivational standpoint of just trying to keep this thing up, you can do so by petitioning for us to stay as weekly a podcast as possible by rating us five stars on the Apple Podcast app. 
But obviously, there are tons of Lakers podcasts now at your disposal, so you may be fine with hearing Lit a little less often. Outside of that, please also consider donating a buck or two to our Patreon page, patreon.com slash the Lakers Legacy Podcast. I plan to have some solo instant recap post-game segments on there that will be exclusive to our patrons and will be much less time-consuming on my part than having to edit a full-on pod with three people that usually runs, you know, an hour or two, an hour and 15 minutes. So, yeah, otherwise, thank you guys for all your support nonetheless. Okay, so the first part of the Lakers schedule was released last week. I won't really get into the ins and outs of this schedule too deeply, and I'll save that for when Tommy and Alan are on, but just some quick thoughts. Probably more so than we had anticipated, it seems like the Lakers are playing a lot of games early on. In fact, they're going to be playing 14 games in their first 25 days. That's pretty much a game every other day. Within that time span, they also have three back-to-backs. Their longest gap between games is just two days, and that only happens once in the first week, with their first and second game being separated by the 12-22 opening night and then Christmas Day when they play against the Mavericks. So the Lakers are going to be starting off pretty fast and furious with not much rest time that I think we thought that they were going to get, given the fact that they had just come off a championship and were playing pretty high-intensity basketball just a month and a half ago. But regardless, this is the hand the Lakers have been dealt, and in addition to the new potential fines the NBA is going to dole out for teams that choose to quote-unquote rest healthy players during nationally televised games, it seems like the Lakers are just going to have to grin and bear it for the first half of this season. Now the good news is, it seems like the first part of their schedule is relatively easy. With three games happening against the playoff fringy Spurs and two games happening against the -the on-the-bubble scrappy young Grizzlies. They also have some tank team fun against the likes of the Oklahoma City Thunder and the Chicago Bulls. So that batch of games should be fairly easy for the Lakers to navigate through, even if they lose one to the Spurs. Uh, I think they should be fine, and they'll probably be able to load manage Anthony Davis and LeBron James heavily within those games. The Clippers, the Dallas Mavericks, and the Portland Trailblazers are really their only top-tier matchups within these first 37 games. Depending on what you think about the new-look Rockets, who, you know, if you think highly of them, maybe you put them in that tier as well. But given how things are shaken out between James Harden gallivanting in Las Vegas and not reporting in a training camp, maybe we peg the Rockets down into more of that on-the-bubble fringe playoff team because they may just end up blowing things up. But yeah... I think the high number of games early on seems to be mitigated at least a little bit by the lower quality of opponents that the Lakers have. We'll see how that plays out. We don't know how most teams are going to ramp up, and it's been a while since we've seen some of these teams in general, so we're not sure how to to categorize their stature as quote-unquote good or bad teams. Uh, But regardless, we'll see how Vogel goes about utilizing the younger guys on this team and the newer pieces on this team to help pace LeBron James and Anthony Davis accordingly. So yeah, I'll keep it right there for the first half of the schedule. We'll we'll probably break it down a little bit more deeply as we preview the start of the season and get into some preseason games. Um, I want to pivot now and talk about the Quinn Cook re-signing. So last week, we learned that the Lakers re-signed Quinn Cook after choosing not to wave and stretch him 
if they had waived and stretched him, the Lakers would not have been able to bring him back on another deal. Those are just the rules. But because they cut him and ate his $1 million guaranteed contract, which stays on their book for the remainder of this year, they are now able to re-sign him, and that's exactly what they did. Um, we've learned today that they actually signed him to a non-guaranteed training camp deal, which is different from a standard non-guaranteed contract because it does not assume that he's going to make even make the roster. It becomes a standard non-guaranteed contract like Dwight Howard last year if he makes the roster by the time the season starts and like Dwight's contract last year, it shall remain non-guaranteed until the NBA sanctioned date in which all NBA salaries are fully guaranteed, which in this year's case will be February 27th, 2021. So the Lakers at any point can cut Quinn Cook prior to that date if they feel they need to fill a specific need if, or if anybody gets injured. And they can even cut him after that 2027 date. They just have to pay him his money. And regardless of whether or not the Lakers had made Cook's contract guaranteed or non-guaranteed, they did still afford themselves some flexibility in being able to add a 15th man to the roster. They just would have had to wait till the February 24th date to do so due to hard cap restrictions. And by that time, the contracts of veteran minimum guys being prorated enough for them to be able to perfectly fit them into their cap books below that hard cap tax apron. But now they can waive Quinn Cook at any time to pick up a new 14th man. And if they waive him before February 24th, they'll also have the opportunity to sign a 15th man as well. Though, given that this year's trade deadline is probably going to land on March 25th, the Lakers will likely wait till then to make any signings because that's when the buyout market begins to heat up and other teams begin to cut guys and when we get a better idea of who is available on the market. So that's the lay of the Quinn Cook land, which at the end of the day, to me, was always a no harm, no foul, no risk move that can only improve the Lakers chemistry in the short term. And also keep guys like Anthony Davis and LeBron James happy that one of their closest confidants last year, Quinn Cook, is by their side, at least to help them usher in this new season. So to me, regardless of whether or not this was a non-guaranteed contract or a guaranteed contract, it made sense to me to bring Quinn Cook back from a culture and chemistry standpoint. And at the end of the day, we just needed to bring somebody in who was totally fine with not having any guaranteed minutes or having a guaranteed role on this team and just being a glue chemistry end of the bench sort of dude similar to Jared Dudley and Quinn Cook perfectly fits that description while also maintaining some cohesion and continuity from last year's team that should only help aid the team as we go along to try and repeat. Last year when we first signed Quinn Cook I was pretty excited due to his shooting capabilities and his small sample size of starting with the Warriors was pretty encouraging as well. He was able to put up like 11 points and like four assists, shooting 42% from three. But obviously as the season went along and we saw that the Lakers' identity would be hinged more tightly upon defense, we became more and more familiar of his biggest deficiencies, mainly his lack of strength and his defensive liabilities, his reliance on always needing a pick-and-roll partner to get his game going. But regardless of all the on-court deficiencies, Quinn Cook, I think, quickly endeared himself to me and all of Lakers Nation with his positive attitude, his embracing of the purple and gold legacy, his transparency and openness in being a proud, lifelong Lakers fan, 
and his earnest and real tributes to the late great Kobe Bryant going so far as to actually go out to Staples Center when all the tributes were happening and being amongst the fans himself. So so I think from that standpoint, Quinn Cook, for me, is a perfectly fine addition. And again, because it's a non-guaranteed contract, there really is no risk in doing this for now. We can still pivot when we need to pivot. Now, having said all that, I do still think that the Lakers could have used an insurance big man, a legitimate seven-footer, to play behind Marc Gasol in the event that he gets a little banged up and has to miss some time. I'm concerned that in that event, we really only can depend on guys who are undersized centers, like Kaycock, who's 6'9", Markeith Morris, who's 6'8", Montrez, who's 6'7", 6'8". So... Not having just an insurance big man in the likes of a Dwayne Dedman, a John Henson, or even like a Kylo Quinn or a Taj Gibson, uh, that kind of worries me. But again, that's mitigated by the fact that this is a non-guaranteed contract. And it should it come down to that case, we can probably pick up any one of those guys. And when it comes to guys like Dedman, Henson, or Gibson, they may have wanted a guarantee of minutes and role on this team which is something I don't think the Lakers felt comfortable doing at this stage. So maybe that's partially the reason why they weren't able to bring in bring in that insurance big man for now. That's not to say they won't be coming down the line, um, but it probably made more sense for Rob Palenka, given the sparse options he had on the market, to just bring a chemistry glue guy like Quinn Cook to, at the very least, help transition us into this new season given the quick turnaround and I am perfectly okay with that because again Rob Palenka has earned the benefit of the doubt given the offseason he has had and speaking of the offseason he has had that's a perfect segue into talking about the LeBron James and Anthony Davis extensions just when you thought Rob Palenka couldn't outdo himself anymore this offseason I mean the guy pretty much hands down, won the offseason already. You, you had guys like Howard Beck go on the Zach Lowe podcast and pretty much proclaim that the Lakers are running laps around the rest of the league with their tongues sticking out. I mean, that's how much praise Rob Palenka has been garnering, even from some of the biggest skeptics around the league. The fact that he could top it off by signing LeBron James and Anthony Davis to, to really bargain extensions is is incredible and the pure manifestation of Christmas coming early to all Lakers fans. If I could equate what Rob Palenka's done this offseason and the role that he's been on to a Kobe Bryant stretch within the prime of his career, I'd probably liken it to Kobe's ridiculous hot streak back in 2003 where he had nine straight games of 40-plus point games. Either that or Kobe Bryant's four straight games of 50-plus points back in 2007 which included an absolutely ridiculous 65-point game against the Portland Trailblazers in which he hit 8 of 12 three-pointers and had that insane double-pivot-pivot fadeaway three-point shot from the baseline against Brandon Roy that most people probably remember. So if we're paralleling Rob Palenka's feats this offseason to a, to a prime Kobe Bryant elite stretch, that's what I would liken what Rob Palenka has done this offseason to. Nine straight 40-plus point games, Four straight 50-plus point games, you name it. Rob Palenka has done everything a GM could possibly do to fortify his championship contending team and make sure that they are in the best position to not only contend once again this year, 
but contend for future years to come, and that part cannot be overstated. Rob Polinka was able to work this balancing act of amplifying the short-term while also paving the way for the long-term future success of this franchise as a whole, even after LeBron James leaves. And you cannot commend him enough for that. So LeBron James signed a two-year extension of about $85 million. That will take the place of his player option next year and extend him for one additional guaranteed year. So we at least have LeBron James for three more years, including this one. Anthony Davis, the biggest shocker of all, signed a five-year deal with the fourth year being a player option, but we were thinking this whole time that he would sign a one plus one or a two plus one, and instead he shocked us all by committing to the Lakers here and now, and he will be a Laker for possibly, potentially, till the end of the 2025 season. And all I can say is, what a huge weight off of all of our shoulders. Uh, We should feel light as Lakers fans, we should feel free, and we should feel hopeful because we have a crux and a foundation for the foreseeable future in Anthony Davis and LeBron James that most teams spend 20 years or an entire franchise lifetime trying to find, trying to draft, sign, and trade for. And our crux features two cornerstone top five players in LeBron James and Anthony Davis. And so... Yeah, it is truly lit, and what a testament to Rob Palenka, the front office, the coaching staff, the culture that they've all been able to build and quickly turn around here in such a short amount of time, thanks to Jeannie Buss up top. Things were looking obviously mighty disastrous and shaky there after LeBron's first year, but Palenka was able to pivot on the fly in the most miraculous of ways, and he really pushed it into overdrive this past offseason to hammer home the point to LeBron James and Anthony Davis, that this franchise is always striving for excellence and will not settle for anything less moving forward to maintain that excellence and even exceed past season's definition of that same excellence. So the fact that Rob Palenka has been operating as if we had lost the championship, I think speaks volumes to guys like LeBron James and Anthony Davis that they are being supported by a front office that will never let up, whether they lose or win. And while there are obviously other factors in play here as to why LeBron James and Anthony Davis inevitably re-upped, for Anthony Davis, he cited his previous injury injury history as a reason to commit long-term, which makes sense for him. And then, of course, there's the clutch dynamic, LeBron James filming Space Jam 2, etc., etc. Regardless of all of those other factors, you have to think that LeBron James and Anthony Davis were encouraged and emboldened by the moves Palinka has made the last two years to go ahead and put pen to paper, now knowing they'd be in good hands for the foreseeable future. Especially for a guy like Anthony Davis, to commit to the Lakers in such a way for at least the next four years is simply incredible. As he now follows through with his words in the bubble, proclaiming that he's purple and gold till the day he dies, And yeah, you just can't help but be incredibly optimistic and hopeful for the future and the possibilities that are now available to us of legitimately building a dynasty and something that has true long-term sustainability. And the cherry on top of all of this is, all of those pick swaps and future draft assets that we supposedly mortgage our future for by sending them through to the New Orleans Pelicans, those look like they won't really amount to anything of consequence for the Lakers in the near future. 
So to recap what we still owe the New Orleans Pelicans, we owe them our 2021 first round pick, but if it falls outside of the top eight, which it likely will, we keep our 2021 first pick and that gets deferred to 2022. So really the first asset of ours, apart from that initial deal that the New Orleans Pelicans are gonna get, is going to be a 2022nd unprotected first round pick. Then in 2023, they have the rights to swap picks with us, but there's a good chance the Lakers are still going to be much better than the New Orleans Pelicans, so they're not even going to be able to avail of that. At which point, the next asset that the New Orleans Pelicans have would be a 2024 first-round pick from us that's unprotected. Now, if they don't like our positioning in 2024, they can swap getting our 2024 first-round pick and defer it over to 2025, which they likely will do because of the chances that Anthony Davis is another year older, LeBron James' contract will be done by then. So really, all in all, we're just looking at the Pelicans getting a 2022nd unprotected first, which will likely be in the 20s, and an unprotected 2025 first which in the worst case scenario will still likely be a late teens pick since Anthony Davis would still be on the team if he opts into his last year or even has another extension come up before that occurs. So the fact that this LeBron James and Anthony Davis extension that places them on this roster together till the 2023 season continues to hammer away at that treasure trove of assets that the New Orleans Pelicans got from us is just icing on top of the cake. And yeah, thank you, David Griffin. Hope you're having fun with Jackson Hayes and Nikhil Alexander-Walker, though props to BI for signing that uh, max extension. But apart from what this does to the Lakers' former trade partners and the assets that they still owe them, obviously the biggest thing this does for the Lakers' franchise and Rob Palenka is just add a level of certainty and surety that they can take with them in future off-seasons without having to be bogged down and always looking behind their shoulders as to whether or not Anthony Davis will opt into his player option, whether or not they need to renegotiate a contract. For at least the next three years, Rob Palenka can just put his head down and continue to do his work without worrying about any of this extracurricular activity surrounding his two main superstars. And as we've seen, the best part about Rob Palenka and the best thing that Rob Palenka does is put his head down and get to work. The fact that LeBron James and Anthony Davis and Clutch have afforded him the opportunity to just focus on that aspect of things and focus on the fringes to help continue to build this team around those two, that's just going to be paramount to the Lakers' long-term success moving forward in building a potential dynasty here. And so not only should a weight be lifted off Lakers fans' shoulders, not only should we feel free about continuing to think about the endless possibilities that we can do with a team anchored by Anthony Davis, that goes for Rob Palenka as well. That same feeling is now something that Rob Palenka can operate with moving forward, not having to worry about media distractions. He can just focus on one, retaining the assets and the players that he currently has, and finding all the different creative ways around the fringes now to help bolster this team that should frankly be pretty exciting for him and allow him to use some creativity in trying to jigsaw puzzle ways to help continue the championship contending excellence of this team. So now that our franchise cornerstones are in place for at least the next three years, what does this mean for the Lakers moving forward in terms of retooling? One, it likely signals that the days of the roster being turned over from one year to the next by almost a 50 to 60% capacity each year are likely over. 
I think with our two main guys locked up and our money and cap space being locked up for at least the next two years, the front office will now probably try to retain as many guys that they currently have on the roster as they can, especially the young guys on this roster like Caruso and THT and Dennis Schroeder, to, to help fill around LeBron James and more specifically Anthony Davis. Effectively, this also means that the Lakers are bowing out of the free agency market for at least the next two years and will be operating as a tax team if you take into account the bird rights that cap holds and the new long-term deals of KCP, Marc Gasol being on a two-year deal, Luau Dang's $5 million dead cap still being on the books, which if you just add KCP's new deal plus Marc Gasol's second year, along with AD and LeBron James' contract extensions, those already amount to around $90 million committed. And obviously you tack on more if, if Montrez opts into his second year as well. So needless to say, we won't have cap space to sign any big name free agents starting next offseason. So with that being said, our primary tools now moving forward in order to improve this roster will now rest upon, one, the yearly mid-level exceptions that each team gets, for the Lakers, this will likely be the smaller tax MLE of $5.7 million moving forward, as I'm sure they are not too keen to hard cap themselves again in the future, especially as raises are taken into account of players' contracts and we begin to inch higher and higher above the luxury tax line. So yeah, we'll still have that yearly mid-level exception of about $5.7 million to use. Two, we'll also always have those veteran minimum deals to use each and every year. Three, we'll continue to be prime players in the buyout market. Moving forward, consider mid-February as our new free agency bonanza time, as we'll likely be scouring the market for cut-slash-bought-out veteran renegades to help bolster our team for the playoffs, a la Markeith Morris. It may be a little harder scooping up guys moving forward because of the depth that we have on our team, since those guys will likely want to have some sort of assurance of a role, but then again, we're also a premier destination for guys who just want to win a championship and live in Los Angeles. So we could maybe still stumble upon some valuable guys in the vein of Markeith Morris, though we'll probably have to temper our expectations in, in that regard. Uh, but regardless, we will have the buyout market to our disposal, and, and that will likely be a place that we'll look more heavily to moving forward. Um, number four, we still should have some first round picks coming our way. As I mentioned, we're still going to have our 2021 first round pick as long as we're not a bottom eight team. Our 2022nd pick will go to the New Orleans Pelicans in that case. But in 2023, we should have our own first round pick as well, barring a pick swap with the New Orleans Pelicans. Regardless, we'll have a pick in the 2023 season. So first round picks and drafting is probably another area that the Lakers will begin to look to in order to, in order to bring in some cheap bodies and talent. And again, that's not a bad thing because the Lakers scouting staff these last couple years has been being able to find these gems in the late first round. So I expect the Lakers to start actually drafting players again uh, in the near future. Um, number five, and probably one of the most important tools the Lakers have at their disposal now that they've signed LeBron James and Anthony Davis to extensions, are the bird rights that they hold. If the Lakers want to retain some of their guys that they currently have on their roster next offseason, they could take advantage of their players' non-bird rights, their early bird rights, or their full bird rights. When it comes to non-bird rights, which applies to players coming off one-year deals and being able to give them a slight raise, uh, that applies to a guy like Montrez Harrell if he opts out of his 
uh, second year player option of about $9.7 million. Uh, we can use non-bird rights on him to give him a new deal starting at around $11 million. He'll likely command more than that on the market, especially if he has a good year with us, but that is an option for the Lakers being able to uh, retain him and give him a slight pay bump. Uh, when it comes to early bird rights, which applies to players who've had at least two years on your team, a tool like that would apply to a guy like Markeith Morris, who, if we want to retain him after the veteran minimum deal that he signed with us this year, uh, we can use to our advantage by giving him a raise of about $10 million. We likely won't go that high, but it's just good knowing that we can pay him up to that amount just to keep his services. And you know, we got a bargain deal on him this year, so paying him around $6 million next year to kind of make him whole again makes total sense to me. Lastly, when it comes to full bird rights, which applies to players who have been under contract for three years, this applied to KCP last year. We used our full bird rights on him to re-up him to this new contract that he just got. We can use full bird rights on a, on a guy like Dennis Schroeder this upcoming year if we choose to retain him, and we can pay him up to the max if we want to. We likely won't. I'm guessing the threshold for retaining Dennis Schroeder would be around 16 to $18 million, which probably still sounds rich to some Lakers fans out there. But just knowing that we have the option to retain Dennis Schroeder because we have his full bird rights, and it won't matter if we're going to be paying the luxury tax anyways, may as well just retain your guys. I believe this would also apply to Alex Caruso, who after this year will have spent three years on this team. So we'll see the contract that they inevitably sign Alex Caruso to. I'm guessing around five to six million dollars would be perfectly fine for everybody involved. So yeah, that's the lay of the land as it pertains to bird rights and the bird rights that the Lakers hold on specific players. And it would behoove them moving forward next year to use some of those rights to retain some of their biggest contributing players. Um, and last but not least, obviously, we have the trade route that we can still go to. So even though we have effectively phased ourselves out of the free agent market, we still have trades available to us. Now, where trades come into play is if the Lakers begin doling out some extensions to the guys that they currently have on their team, namely Kyle Kuzma and Dennis Schroeder. That's when they can begin to replenish their asset toolbox and not to view these guys solely as tradable assets. I prefer to look at them as long-term pieces that can contribute to a long contending run on this team. Um, but when it comes to giving these guys extensions, in the worst case scenario, one, we make sure we don't lose these guys for nothing. And then two, we can also view them as movable pieces in the future, should it come to that point, who are also in and of themselves salary ballasts that we won't have to tack on multiple additional assets to because we need to match more salary which was always a roadblock that we always hit with Kyle Kuzma only making $2 million a year these past few seasons. You give Kyle Kuzma an extension that's worth an average of around $12 million a year, and you no longer have to run into that big of a problem because now you're in that sweet spot of being able to trade for guys who are making around $12 to $15 million a year. And guys who are making that amount are usually serviceable, talented players. So I think from that front, it would make sense for Rob Palenka and the front office to look to aggressively try and find extension agreements with Cal Kuzma and maybe even Dennis Schroeder. As we've learned, Alex Caruso is not extension eligible at this time, but Cal Kuzma can be extended before the season starts. Once the season starts, no, no extension options are available for Cal Kuzma, so Palinka and the front office will have to come to that agreement with Kuzma's representatives uh, in just the next three weeks or so. 
Dennis Schroeder is maybe less of a priority since we own his full bird rights and we can make a decision on whether or not to retain him and give him a deal around what his cap hold currently is, which is like $15 million. But if you can get Dennis Schroeder at a bargain deal now, maybe at that $15 million a year mark, it may make sense for both sides to do that, especially because Rob Palenka has already cited that trading for Dennis Schroeder was a long-term move and that we hope to keep him as part of our future moving forward. And I think with the Anthony Davis and LeBron James extension signings, that comment now makes more sense. Because you don't want to lose an asset and a player like Dennis Schroeder for nothing when you now have much more limited options at improving your roster given your cap constrictions moving forward. So I think the ideal scenario for me as it pertains to giving guys extensions, the most ideal scenario for me would be if the Lakers were able to sign Kyle Kuzma to the Jordan Clarkson special of about $12 million per year. So maybe $45 million over four or $40 million over three years and then getting Schroeder at about $15 million a year over the next three or four years as well. I don't think Kyle Kuzma will sign a deal like that, as I'm sure his agent probably thinks he can get more on the open market, and there's probably one or two teams that are willing to pay Kyle Kuzma the bag on potential alone. Same goes for Dennis Schroeder. I think think he'll wait this year out and see what the open market can provide him. I'm sure he also thinks he can make more than $15 million a year. But who knows, especially with a guy like Kyle Kuzma, who's typically thinking about his narrative and his his legacy, there are obviously benefits that come with staying in L.A. and playing in a Lakers uniform. Being able to play on a contending team for years to come and getting the chance to win multiple titles with the Lakers obviously has a huge bearing on individuals' brands and legacies. That, and also maybe they just want to take the bird that's in the hand now and make sure they're financially secure because injuries can always happen and one bad injury during this next season could completely derail their free agency market. So given all of those reasons, there is also a reasonable argument to be made that Kyle Kuzma and Dennis Schroeder could take fairly low ball bargain deals like the $12 million and $15 million I outlined above. But more than likely, I guess I'll be surprised if Rob Palenka is able to come to an extension agreement with either Kyle Kuzma or Dennis Schroeder. But then again, given the offseason that Rob Palenka has had, I put nothing past him. And man, if he's able to literally tie this offseason in a bow by getting Kyle Kuzma on a $12 million a year contract, just give the man the Executive of the Year award before the season even begins. And also give whoever got the Executive of the Year award last year to Rob Palenka. That's how much he deserves it. Either way, we'll see. It just makes sense for the Lakers to lock up and secure as many guys as they can now for the long term and start building out that continuity because, again, that money isn't going to be siphoned off elsewhere for a new player because we simply don't have the cap space. So may as well pay the guys you have in-house now, make everyone happy, and continue to let the good times roll. There's also a case to be made that Maybe those good vibes and that momentum and Kyle Kuzma seeing LeBron James and Anthony Davis ink themselves long-term with the Lakers kind of gets him feeling a certain way as well, and he may just be ready to sign on the dotted line for what some would consider a bargain contract than if he chooses to survey the market as a restricted free agent next season. We shall see. All right, with that said, that'll pretty much do it for my first segment, talking about the extensions, the Quinn Cook re-signing, what the Lakers will do moving forward in the future. 
I'm gonna take it to break and once I return, I'm gonna pitch it to my guest spot on the Put On Waivers podcast with Dwayne Douglas, where we just recap what Rob Palenka and the Lakers did this offseason with their four new additions. We also touch upon Dennis Schroeder's initial comments about wanting to start. We get into whether I think Kyle Kuzma will, will remain a Laker by season's end. And yeah, it was just a good conversation overall, and it should hopefully help tide you over till the next Lakers Legacy podcast, where I hope to have either Tommy or Alan or both on as we effectively usher in the start of the 2020-2021 season. So yeah, please check that out after the break, and please also remember to rate and review us five stars on the Apple Podcast app. Thank you, guys. So you're a philosopher? Yes. 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 I think very deeply. I think very deeply. I think. And welcome, everybody, to another episode of the Put on Waivers podcast. I'm your host, Dwayne Douglas, podcasting off the beautiful shores of the Pacific Ocean. Beautiful day out here in California, Southern California, San Diego to be exact, but beautiful out here. Um, you know, 70 degrees today. Someone's a little hot, but then, you know, nighttime comes down, got a full moon out, you know, all that stuff like that. So, uh, we have a special guest. We have Jonathan Hernandez. He's from the Lakers Legacy Podcast. Nice to meet you. Nice to have you on again, I should say. <laughs> How's everything going um, out there in LA? Things are going great. It's crazy to think that we are now in December. We're almost done with this wretched 2020 year. Oh, but as God. you mentioned, it's always uh, sunny and great in California. We have uh, 73 degree weather uh, to start off December, so can't complain. And we've got basketball coming up in literally just less than two weeks so yes we got we have the the league is going to start real soon to the chagrin of lebron who you know wanted to get a little bit more of a break but i'm sure the lakers will provide that break um for him and i'm um, Kawhi got all the break he needed right he shouldn't have any problem having his um <laughs> having all unexpectedly the break he, yes <laughs> unexpectedly of course um reflecting back on the ring now as we do here uh Mike, my, my thought, I, this one felt really good for a lot of reasons and any, any ring feels really good. But the fact that they, tr- they were attempting to get Kawhi and Kawhi had that whole, you know, un- 007 type deal here <laughs> where he was like, hey, you know, we're, we're going to we're going to sit here and I'm not going to. I'm not gonna. I'm gonna fake like I'm coming to you, but I'm, but I'm, but I'm, but I'm, but I'm not gonna come to you. I'm gonna try to get Paul George all that stuff like that, and then um, everybody and plus the experts just you know kind of the experts really did not believe that they could do it, and uh, can, can, can I give your thoughts here, Jonathan, about that because I really felt like you know this team could do it, and they didn't really trust that KCP and all, all these folks were gonna come through. No, yeah, I think in terms of the retribution and vindication angle of things the Lakers are able to fulfill all of those different aspects with this championship win you know not the least of which with what happened tragically to Kobe Bryant they were able to sort of kind of use that as 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 additional driving motivation but um, when it comes to the critics and the cynics and it's crazy to think that with a team that has LeBron James and Anthony Davis that there could have been so much doubt cast on a team like that and to see each and every one of those narratives from Dwight Howard signing to the Avery Bradley signing to the Rajon Rondo signing everybody's saying that this was an ill-conceived roster with ill-fitting parts of dudes who are washed up and to see each one of those narratives fall to the wayside and guys band together and I think one of the prevailing narratives too is that somehow this team was going to be you know 
bottom half defensively. And it turns out that they ended up being like number one or at least top three the entire season in that category. And at the end of the day, just the best defensive team with the best defensive player, Anthony Davis should have won defensive player of the year. But yeah, I think in terms of just bulletin board material for literally every single player on this roster and not only every single player but also every person within the front office and organization you want to talk about Rob Palenka yes. and the doubts cast upon him all the way to you know Jason Kidd people thinking man is this guy going to backstab you know Frank Vogel and take yeah. over no everybody worked synergistically and in concert together to mm -hmm. achieve this one goal which mm -hmm. was the championship and I think from that end it is almost kind of like a too good to be true fairy tale story because each one of the narratives that were being pushed against us, we were able to turn right back around, uh, throw it in people's faces and come out victorious. Maybe the only narrative that we weren't able to do that triumphantly with was probably like our three point shooting, but that's just the Lakers curse that presides over this organization. Yeah. Every year, we're always going to be like a middling 35% three-point shooting team, regardless of who we bring in. Something's always going to happen in that respect. Mm. Luckily for the Lakers, we have LeBron James and Anthony Davis, mm. and the middling three-point shooting or inconsistent three-point shooting didn't end up mattering in the end or didn't end up greatly biting us in the end. So to sum it all up in terms of the vindication and the retribution and being able to just throw it back into people's faces, yes, it was a very, very sweet championship win in, in that respect. And you know, people got so sick of us on Twitter that they had to restart the season so quickly so that they didn't have to hear all of this and they could restart back up yes. all of those same narratives in spite of the fact that we're coming back bigger, better, stronger, et cetera, et cetera. Yeah, they're they're not gonna they're not gonna be happy with the with the free agents we got this year. I'll tell you that much. Um, we can write, we can go right into free agency here. Let's start with Mark Gasol. I mean, just I thought it was just a, a kind of a brainiac type basketball player. He can do a lot of things, cerebral, can can play defense. The majority of these games, um, as much as you want a fast break, are played in the half court. He helps the Lakers there as well. Mm -hmm. Can you talk about you know his his um how how what he will add to the Laker team um, going forward? Well, first of all, I mean, in light of losing Dwight Howard, I think Marc Gasol became increasingly pivotal to what the yeah. Lakers want to do. And right now, you know, pending what we do with that last roster spot, I'm assuming we're going to bring in an insurance big. Marc Gasol is really our only technical seven-foot center, whereas yeah. last year we had both JaVale and Dwight. Um, now we don't have either of those. But... So case in point, Marcus Gasol is very crucial to this team. In, in yeah. fact, if he goes down, I'm not sure what we're going to do. I guess we could start Markeith Morris and, or Montrez Harrell, but these are undersized bigs right now. And we may have to force AD to play the five much sooner than we want him to if Marcus Gasol goes down. But let's say health provided, Marcus Gasol is able to you know, play out most of the season at an average of like 18 minutes per game, which is all we really need him to play. Um, yeah, I think he brings that defensive gritty aspect uh, to the Lakers that we're still going to be a defensive team because of Marc Gasol. Mm -hmm. We are going to look different defensively. We're not going to look as dynamic and explosive with Dwight Howard and JaVale McGee snatching balls out of the air, that's for sure. But what we gain with Marc Gasol is just a smarts and an intelligence on both ends of the court that I think should help us, one, maintain that defensive aspect that we had last year, because 
Marcus Gasol is not only a smart defender. I mean, look, he lo- he's like an old man out there blocking shots without actually jumping. But this yeah. dude has a seven foot four wingspan that he knows how to use to his advantage. On top of it, he's a guy who communicates on the defensive end and really knows how to talk to yes. his guys. And Frank Vogel's system last year, and I want to remind everybody that at the start of the season, again, everybody doubted how good we could be defensively. And obviously, a lot of that falls on Anthony Davis and Dwight Howard. But I think we have to credit Frank Vogel for schematically putting this team in a position to succeed defensively. And when you get Mar- a guy like Marc Gasol, who in and of himself is a defensive coordinator on the court, and you put him with a mind like Frank Vogel, a defensive-minded head coach, I, I just see things working out you know, even better. Again, it's going to look different, yeah. but I think we don't really lose a step defensively because he's going to be able to tell the guys where to go on the defensive end. And then offensively, I think what we gain with Marc Gasol is just added spacing. We get that playmaking aspect from the center position, which we didn't necessarily have with Dwight Howard and especially not JaVale McGee. And we just overall get a more solid foundational point in that center spot that last season we were starting off games with JaVale McGee. And a lot of fans were frustrated because we get off to all of these slow starts and it almost became an issue of, all right, how many minutes can we withstand this JaVale McGee experiment? Five minutes, six minutes, Vogel, when are you going to bring in the bench? You know, yeah. I don't think it's going to be that case this year because Marcus Gasol is going to be starting off games with two of the other smartest minds in basketball with LeBron James and Anthony Davis. So just thinking about the possibilities of, of being able to sync up those geniuses together and what they can do on both ends of the court mm-hmm. uh, is really getting me excited for this season. Now, obviously, I don't think Marcus Gasol is going to be you know, playing 24, 25 minutes a game, but I don't think we need him to. Yeah. So just on all aspects, I, I think Marcus Gasol was, was sorely needed, but also just he is going to help us raise our offensive game with the spacing and the playmaking while also helping maintain our defensive identity from last year because he is a, a big bruiser type who's physical as well. He doesn't get up like a Dwight or a JaVale McGee, but he uses his smarts, his instincts, and his wingspan to help mitigate all those things. And then outside of that, there's the poetic aspect of him obviously being Pau Gasol's brother and obviously being drafted by the Lakers to start off his career before being traded away to the Memphis Grizzlies. I'm sure people have seen that video now of um, the late, great Kobe Bryant coming into a room to congratulate Marcus Gasol for, I don't know what award he won. It might've been the Defensive Player of the Year award, but Kobe Bryant dapping him up and saying, congrats, brother. Um, maybe next time you'll come over to our side. So mm. it's very poetic that Marcus Gasol is now part of the Lakers and hopefully he's just going to finish his career with the Lakers being in LA with his brother, Pau, and hopefully ending up the same way as, as Pau did winning a ring with uh, the Lakers. Sounds good. I mean that 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 poetic ending sounds like it, it could it could come to fruition this year. Um, mm-hmm. Dennis Schroeder, maybe I don't know if he started a controversy yet, but I mean he just automatically <laughs> just said, "Hey, listen, I've done that thing on the bench before. I don't want to do the thing on the bench again." Uh, what are your thoughts about him saying that? And I mean, he obviously would definitely take a lot of the ball handling stress away from LeBron, bringing the ball up the court, everything like that. He plays on both ends. What are your thoughts about that pickup and his proclamation that, hey, I want to start. I don't want to come off the bench. Yeah, I think on the one end, um, it's understandable that a guy of his stature would say that. I'd almost be worried if he was like, yeah, I'm a bench player, six man for for me forever. You know what I mean? Um, But at the same time, you would also hope that he would be a little bit more 
I don't know, PC with his comments, kind of the way that Trez was, because I think in Trez, Trez's press conference, he said, I'm willing to do whatever it takes to win. You know, I'm yeah. coming into a ready-made championship team. Yeah. So for Dennis Schroeder to come out with almost, and I don't think he meant to be this way, but just the comments on its surface sounds like someone who's a little bit entitled. So I can kind of see both sides of the coin. For right now, I'm not too concerned with it because I'm sure they talked it over. I'm sure there's a, a reasonable possibility that he may start to begin the year. Yeah. Um, I just hope that if that's the case, that they would stagger him appropriately so that he's more with the bench, which needs yeah. that sort of playmaking the most. At the same time, I do see the merits of him being able to take some of that playmaking burden off of LeBron James and being a guy who helps set LeBron James up and help LeBron James play off ball more. Sort of the way that we saw Rajon Rondo and LeBron James on the court Mm-hmm. probably more than we had expected last season. So I think Dennis Schroeder could definitely help in that respect, especially if we're planning to load manage a little bit more with yeah. LeBron James and Anthony Davis. So starting him may make some sense. Let's, I just hope that, um, again, he's staggered with the bench a little bit more um, so that his playmaking can be of most use with that second unit who doesn't really, we don't really have another uh, playmaker besides LeBron James and Dennis Schroeder in terms of the, you know, the point guard variety that, that Dennis Schroeder can bring. So, um, but yeah, with regards to his comments, I would say it's something to monitor for now. Yeah. Uh, I don't, there's no red flags. Again, I, I, my stance is I wish he had been a little bit more PC with it and come, come, come out with that, you know, Trez mindset of I'm coming into a ready-made team. I'm willing to do whatever it takes. But at the same time, again, I also understand that he, thinks of himself as a starter player. And I think he's going to get starter minutes, whether or not he comes off the bench or starts. And right now, I think the Lakers have come out and said, nothing is definitive, which how can it be? I think they're going to sort this, all of this out at training camp. And it wouldn't surprise me if at some point or another, Dennis Schroeder is starting. I personally think he's probably better suited um, off the bench, but no matter what, he's going to play his appropriate 28 to 30 minutes. And he's probably going to, close a handful of games as well so to me it's just semantics uh, if, De- if Dennis Schroeder wants to wants to have that badge that starter badge maybe we appease him to some respect but I mean he's on a one-year deal as well um, I just hope that we're able to just manage and soothe and massage all of these you know personalities early on get the expectations out there appropriately Frank Vogel communicates to everybody that it's going to take a lot of sacrifice on everybody's parts to repeat. Everybody's gunning for us at this point. And we, we can't have like all of this. um, Yeah. We can't have prima donnas essentially. And I don't think that's what Dennis Schroeder was trying to do. Um, But it's something to monitor. Yeah, so definitely something to look at there. You mentioned Trez here, and that was probably the one. Maybe we shouldn't have been surprised because I think they're both clutch clients, right? Um, mm-hmm. Him and LeBron. So maybe we shouldn't have been so surprised. But I think the Clippers were surprised. I think I think a lot of people <laughs> around, around the NBA were surprised. And when I, I, I when I had the Bleacher Report um, update on my phone, I had, I did a double take. I was like, wait a minute, L L A C to L A L A L L. I'll take that any day of the week. The guy is an active body. He can do so much. Um, you know. Rolls, he can roll to the basket. He can hit a little bit of a hit a little bit of a jumper. But I mean, his his offensive rebounding ability, defensive rebounding ability, is where he really is going to help the Lakers a lot. Um, Montrell's Harold, what, what are your thoughts about that guy? 
Yeah, I think as with everybody that threw me for a loop because, you know, we had several podcasts just sort of detailing every single possibility yeah, the Lakers exactly. could look at a free agency. Yeah. And we not once did we think about Montrezl Harrell being an option one because we thought he'd get paid more, you know, yeah. or at the very least that the Clippers would retain him, yeah. you know, because they if they lose him, they're not going to get anything in return for him. Yep. So the fact that right after Dwight Howard signed with the Sixers, that we came right back around to sign Montrez on a two-year $18 million deal for the mid-level non-taxpayer exception, yeah, that threw me for a loop. And, and to be honest with you, at the start of it, I wasn't sure whether I liked it because I was like, oh, I had like a stretchy big slotted into this position, like a Sergi Baca or even like a Marcus Morris, you know? Yeah. And I had not envisioned, okay, this guy can't shoot. He's under side center. Uh, obviously he has talent. The closest guy who I can probably approximate to Montrezl Harrell that we did think about was probably Tristan Thompson. They're sort of similar players in terms of their energy guys. They have like high motors, they, they rebound, they can finish really well inside the paint. They can't really stretch the floor, but they've proven that they can be, you know, those versatile role-playing big man types. Montrez is obviously way better and more talented and more skilled than Tristan Thompson. So when I took a step back and just analyzed the landscape of things, once we signed Marcus all, then things sort of made more sense to me with, mm -hmm. with Montrez. But I know initially, regardless of how things were going to fit, regardless of how wonky I thought the fit was, to bring in a guy like Montrez who didn't necessarily space the floor, and then on top of it, who struggled with the Clippers defensively in the playoffs, I was like, ooh, this kind of seems like a recipe for disaster. Did we really choose Montrez over Ibaka? It's kind of debatable what, what happened there. But taking a step back and just looking at the talent Montrez is and being able to get him at that price... I think that it's it's something that Rob Polinka couldn't pass up on. And to get somebody like Montrez, who is only 26 years old, and you're yeah. probably getting him in his prime right now, yeah. and you're allowing Phil Handy to take a look at him and be able to help develop him as well. I mean, the, the possibilities are endless with a dude who's this hungry. And you know you're getting him off of a year where everybody's doubting him as well, which kind of fits the Lakers' narrative from last year about just dudes who were kind of thrown to the wayside and then, and doubted, and you know Montrez is going to be hungry coming off of that abysmal playoff performance uh, with the Clippers, where the whole Clippers fan base was pretty much throwing him under the bus and blaming him for the chemistry issues that they had, blaming him for the poor performance that they had against the Nuggets. And so I think this dude has a lot to prove, not the least of which this is a contract year for him, even though I know he has a player option for that second year. You know he's going to want to come back out into the market after this year, after proving himself. But I think he's in the right environment now with this Lakers team and, you know, a couple of clutch clients and his mentor being LeBron James to help slot him and put him in a place and a position to succeed, which I don't think Doc Rivers did a good job of last year. And yeah. so, you know, taking a look at his game, just him having the skills to break big man off the dribble, because he is a pretty adept six, seven, six, eight power forward at handling the ball and being able to break his man off the dribble and using his speed and agility to get by them. Yeah. And I think what's impressed me the most about Trez is he just has very quick, decisive move movements on offense where he faces up and he goes immediately to the basket and finishes strong. Mm -hmm. um, in a lot of ways, I mentioned this before, but he reminds me of like a more polished version of Julius Randle 
but one who can finish a lot better because he has this insane seven foot four wingspan that allows him to have, yeah, to have nifty finishes at the basket, to have this soft touch around the rim. And then on top of that, this dude just likes to tear the rim down at any possible chance he can get. You know, he's like a strong, ferocious sort of dude with, I think, the right mentality for this team. Like we lose Dwight Howard and we lose that physicality from Dwight Howard, but I think yeah. Montrez Harrell kind of maintains that physicality and that that dog mentality that I think we're going to need in Dwight Howard's stead. And I mean, you see Montrez, he's sort of that guy that if we're playing on a random Tuesday against the Sacramento Kings or the Charlotte Hornets and we're, we're kind of sluggish and we need that extra boost, Montrez is the type of guy who is going to band the group together with his emotion and his ferocity because he always plays with that passion and spirit that I think is so infectious for a team like the Lakers who yeah. lost two key guys chemistry wise in Dwight Howard and JaVale McGee, who kind of, you know, brought the bench together. And so I think Trez for us can be that guy on the court and off the court every single night. So I, I think in terms of the gamble of getting a guy in his prime and just the skills that we can unlock him being another guy who just legitimately can score 18 points and do it yeah. on his own. He had one of the highest, I think, usage rates of a big man that you can find, I think had a 25% usage rate or whatever, which means he wasn't getting assisted on all of his buckets the way that you'd expect like a Tristan Thompson to be, where it's like Tristan Thompson's getting assisted on like 75% of his baskets. Yeah. Montrez is a guy that they could dump it into. He'd face up, jab step a little, but then go straight to the hoop and finish. Um, I think that's going to be uh, crucial for this team, again, who are looking for guys who can take the burden off of a LeBron James and, and Anthony Davis to create mm -hmm. And so on a random Tuesday night against the Charlotte Hornets, if we need to only play LeBron James and Anthony Davis 20 minutes, we can because we can dump it down to Montrezl Harrell or give it to Dennis Schroeder and know that they can generate offense on their own. And so it's going to be fun to see how, yeah, Trez incorporates himself to this team. And it's going to be fun to see Dennis Schroeder and Trez sort of approximate that Lou Will, Montrezl Harrell pick and roll um, dynamic that they had with the Clippers. So yeah, very excited about Trez, mainly because he's hungry. He has a lot to prove and we're getting him at his prime. He's going to be in a better environment with a coach who should hopefully utilize him better, but also it seems like he's with teammates that he wants to be with and, yes. and the drama of the uh, we over me Clippers is, is, is behind him. Yes, the, the, the Clippers had a little bit of a mess there, especially at the end. And they, the, the, the shocking thing is that they didn't even make it to the Lakers. You talked about beating the Lakers the whole yes. year. They didn't even make it there, thanks to, um, thanks to the Joker and company. <laughs> um, last thing before we go to the uh, kind of a little fast paced three questions at the end. Um, Danny Green's replacement, basically, Wesley Matthews. Is he, you think he's going to come in and be able to do that without, without issue? Um, it, it, seems like he, it seems like a perfect fit for the Lakers here. Yeah, I think like Marcus saw, Wesley Matthews was sorely needed because not only did we lose out on Danny Green, but we also lost Avery Bradley, two of our, you know, stout perimeter defenders. And I've mentioned it before, but it's kind of fitting that Wesley Matthews comes in and he's sort of like a fusion of the two players where he has sort of Danny Green's shooting ability for one, mm -hmm. and he's probably going to shoot way better than Danny Green did this past <laughs> season. Hopefully, crossing fingers. Okay. Again, there is that Lakers three-point curse, so anything can happen. But Wesley Matthews has one of the purest shots that I've ever seen. It comes off his fingertips very easily and smoothly, always has that really nice arc. And so I expect that to continue. And Wesley Matthews has never played with guys like LeBron James and Anthony Davis who should hopefully give him 
the most wide open shots he's ever had. He was able to experience a little bit of that with Giannis last year, but coming to the Lakers, it's like having two Giannis's, you know? Mm -hmm. So all he needs to do is get set, get his feet set and let that thing fly. So he is Danny Green in the sense of he can shoot the lights out from three. He also has a little bit of Danny Green's spare change in the back pocket, a little bit of that bulkiness. Um, But he reminds me of Avery Bradley in the sense that he's sort of that ball hawk and point of, point of attack defender hound like Avery Bradley, where he's as frenetic and speedy as Avery Bradley was when he's picking up full court. Uh, you know, Danny Green's a little bit slower. He's more of a team defender guy. Yeah. Um, but Avery Bradley was like, I'm going to stick him on the best, um, you know, point guard or ball handler on the other team. And at the very least, I'll know he'll annoy the heck and harass the heck out of that player. And I think Wesley Matthews brings that sort of tenacity and harassment that Avery Bradley did while still also having sort of the physicality and body mold that Danny Green did, even though he is more Avery Bradley's height. So I think he sort of brings the best parts of both Avery Bradley and Danny Green together. So yeah, I think he was a perfect addition to this Lakers squad and, and one that was much needed because we don't have a lot in the name of wing defense outside of Wesley Matthews. We're we're really solely relying on KCP. And in the playoffs, we saw the problems with relying on KCP because his size sometimes gets in the way of how well he's able to produce defensively against bigger wings like Kawhi Leonard or Paul George, where with Wesley Matthews, we've seen him actually succeed against guarding guys who are three or four inches taller than him, whether it's Paul George, Kawhi Leonard, or even a guy like LeBron James, the way that Wesley Matthews is able to succeed against these taller guys is he bodies them up and he's able to be the aggressor from the onset. And even though he's not able to contest the shot right at their eye level, like a taller guy, like Danny green, or even a Kyle Kuzma would, because he's so aggressive from the onset and he's bodying these guys up, they feel his physicality and that throws them off whenever they try and hoist up that jump shot. So I really like Wesley Matthews, just activity and energy, but also couple that with his physicality and his, his ability to rough guys up, while adding that Avery Bradley type speed. And again, as I mentioned on the other end, he's just gonna light it up from three. So he brings it on both ends. And and in an area, again, where the Lakers are pretty sorely lacking, we've got him, KCP, and Cal Kuzma to defend these six, seven, six, eight wing guys in the name of Jason Tatum, Jalen Brown, you know, who we've periodically always had problems with. So He's going to be much needed in terms of that size aspect. That's where we're going to need Wesley Matthews and Kyle Kuzma. And obviously in the playoffs, LeBron James will take up that mantle to guard the best wing defender. But in terms of the regular season, Wesley Matthews is an addition that we definitely needed. His father was a former Showtime Laker. So add in that poetic aspect of things. And it just it just sort of makes sense. Kind of like with the Marcus Gasol thing, it sort of made sense for Wesley Matthews to uh, eventually find himself as a Laker. Yeah, put, put on waivers podcast here. Um, we're talking to Jonathan Hernandez, Lakers Legacy Podcast, and we had some we had some folks who wanted to. Um, they texted our they they texted our text line, which is eight five eight four two nine nine four six five. Just three questions. Yeah. I was a lot, a lot of them. So put three questions. Just real quick answers on. No, let's go for it. Kuzma, will he finish the year as a Laker? Ooh. <laughs> Oh man, this is tough because it's hard. hard. I mean, I I really like Kyle Kuzma, but they have a decision to make whether or not they're going to give him an extension. Um, And I personally, for me, 
Mm, this is hard. I want to say 60-40, he's not a Laker. Yeah. But I guess the part of me that says he's probably still going to remain with the team is I can't envision right now another because if we trade Cal Kuzma, we're presumably going to have to get a wing back who's at least his size and who can yeah. you know defend and shoot better. Right now, that wing on the market doesn't exist for me. So it's almost like even if we have to lose Cal Kuzma, we don't want to pay him at, at year's end. Um, we may as well just keep him on for continuity's sake and hope he continues to grow. Yeah. Um, now, I mean, obviously, any, anything can happen in the midst of the season and maybe like someone gets injured and a, a bigger knee crops up and Cal Kuzma's our last chip that we can throw. Um, but barring that, I, I don't see another guy that we can trade for who um, would, one, I mean, we have salary ballast now to make things work, but Cal Kuzma's still only making $3.5 million if we don't end up giving him that extension. Um, I know I'm waffling a lot right now, <laughs> but- um, I'll take 60-40, I'll take 60-40. Yeah, 60-40, <laughs> I don't think Kyle Kuzma is gonna be on this team. Like personally for me, I would want him to stay on this team. I just yeah. think that um, he probably wants to show out a little bit more. And on this okay. team, you know, he sacrificed this past year. Second year around, is he gonna be more willing to do so? And he's probably only gonna be looking at what he looked at last year, if not less, so 24 minutes yeah. or less. And given it's like a pivotal point in his career where he's trying to make himself some money next year, yeah. um, they may be able to find a suitable situation for both him and the Lakers where they gain an asset back in his stead and they don't have to worry about overpaying him the next year. And maybe Kyle Kuzma gets to kind of, you know, spread his wings a little bit more. But um, personally for me, I want Kyle Kuzma to stay, but just logistically, it seems like he's probably more 60-40 on the way out. All right. So you heard that one. So we, I went to the outlets the other day shopping and I saw, I saw at least six or seven Caruso jerseys mm -hmm. out there, out there. So they, they want to know if he has a chance to win a six man of the year. I don't know. I don't think oh, he's going to score enough, but uh -huh. I mean, if you do start shooter and you know, who, you know, who knows how Trez is going to play um, with stuff like that. Does Caruso have a chance to be a six man of the year? Uh, he has a small chance, but I think people are so annoyed by Lakers fans hype of Caruso <laughs> that it's probably <laughs> never going to happen regardless of how, unless Caruso like gets his scoring game going all of a sudden and he's averaging yeah. like 10 to 12 points off the bench and he's keeping up his defensive intensity. I don't really see how one, he beats out the other six men candidates on his team, which the Lakers are so deep this year that I, there are three or four six men guys in our team that I could potentially say have a shot at it. Dennis Schroeder, if he doesn't start, Montrez Harrell, obviously, Cal Kuzma, it's a contract year for him. Like all these guys could be six men of the year. So exactly. I think just by virtue of how deep the Lakers are, Caruso probably doesn't have a shot. But again, anything can happen if that offense comes around for him and he's averaging 12 points in like 24 minutes or whatever, plus yeah. his defense is still there. I, I mean, there's a shot there, but let's say, let's go. 85-15, he probably is not going to get six <laughs> men of the year. So we're rocking the percentages. I like it. Um, last one. I think it's Portland. I want to know what you think. And, and, and the people who text, they want to know what you think. Who is the biggest threat to the Lakers in the West? Hmm, to the West. Yeah, it seems like Portland really retooled this summer for sure. Um, with uh, who did they get this year? They got Robert Covington. Uh, they kept Carmelo. Uh, they gained their big men back. They got Derek Jones Jr. Yeah, they, they're, I think, out of them and the Suns, are, I think, are the two Western Conference teams that retooled the most and improved their team the most. In terms of who I think is going to be the Lakers' biggest competition, 
at the start of this, I would have said the Golden State Warriors, but unfortunately, Clay Thompson went down with the Achilles injury, and we're, yeah. we hope that he's able to recover from that. Yeah. Um, right now, I still honestly think it's going to be the Clippers. You know, they have that monkey on their shoulder, on the, monkey on, on their back that they have to get rid of from last year. I'm sure they want to just now they're the team that everybody's doubting and laughing at, you know, so I think yeah. they have that going for them. Um, while I don't necessarily think that they retooled because obviously they lost Montrez, um, they were able to get a guy in Luke Kennard who will help them out. Although they did lose Shamit, they lost Trez, they're retaining Reggie Jackson. They still have a long ways to go in terms of shoring up that point guard spot. I know they're trying to get rid of Lou Will, so hopefully, so maybe they'll flip Lou Will for a more established primary point guard, maybe like a Spencer Dinwiddie. If they make a move like that, then even more so the Clippers. Um, but for now, maybe I'll rank things as Clippers number one still. Mm -hmm. Then let's go um, Denver and then Portland and Phoenix. Uh, those are like my top four teams that will probably give the Lakers um, their biggest test. And then obviously Golden State, because they have Curry, is always an outside shot at, at making some noise. So yeah. yeah, Clippers, Denver, Portland, and then the Phoenix Suns are probably the, the, the top four teams that we're looking at who could, could cause us the most problems. And, you know, we, we saw what CP3 did with OKC last year. You're putting him next to a, a legitimate superstar in Devin oh. Booker. And they could cause some fireworks for sure, especially with the momentum that they're riding from the bubble, the eight and O bubble champion sons. And Monty Williams is a great coach who can wrangle that team together and, and, you know, provide them with that spirit and spark. And, and yeah, I would not be surprised if they're, they're top three, like at the end of the day. So, but yeah, for now it would still be the Clippers. Yeah. I mean, the, the Clippers are definitely probably, 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 you know, when you look at it, I don't know if that whole, intermingle thing they got going on inside their building with him just taking so many games off and coming back to San Diego yeah. and stuff like that. So we'll have to see if, um, if, if Kawhi gets that thing going. Um, listen, thank you for joining us here on the Put On Waivers podcast. I appreciate the yeah, time. Um, and you guys do a great job on the, on the Lakers Legacy podcast. I listen all the time. So thank you. I appreciate it. Appreciate it, man. Take care. Absolutely. Thank you. When everyone's on the same page, getting things done at work is easy. No matter what you do or what industry you're in, how you communicate is key. Everything you type is equally important to collaboration, and Grammarly can help. Think of it as your AI writing partner, empowering you to communicate effectively and efficiently so you can make a bigger impact in the workplace. 96% of Grammarly users say it helps them craft more impactful writing. And as the gold standard of responsible AI, Grammarly is your secure AI writing partner that allows your team to make their point and move faster. By understanding your writing and context, Grammarly provides relevant, personalized suggestions. And with tone suggestions, you can navigate even the most difficult work conversations. You can also save time from spending hours editing drafts to just seconds with one click. Sign up and download Grammarly for free at grammarly.com slash podcast. That's G-R-A-M-M-A-R-L-Y dot com slash podcast. Easier said, done. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun... 
Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.